This podcast is a production of Journey, a church community inspiring people to live big. For more information, please visit cincyjourney.org. My name is Brian. I too am a volunteer here at Journey. I want to welcome you to uh, kind of a new season for us. And as uh, Bill alluded to, and if you were around for donuts, hopefully you got a chance to meet uh, Pastor Roy already. But in case you didn't, I want to provide just a brief introduction uh, and invite him to come up on stage. Uh, Roy has an interesting story, and I think it's going to be fascinating to see, um, see watch him share that with us. But as a bit of background, uh, Roy's from this area, has pastored in this area kind of loosely for some time. Uh, he had seasons at churches in Kettering. Um, and in and in Centerville for uh, for some time, but that's really the second half of his life. He had a professional career before that. Uh, felt called to ministry. Went to seminary, um, kind of mid life and mid career, and that's interesting to me. I think is a is, is a is a good story of. Um, of God's calling on our life and our obedience. So uh, I'm excited to have him. His, his family uh, also has an interesting story. Uh, he and his wife are both ordained pastors and teachers in the church, and uh, we're, we're lucky to have him. So he's going to be part of our family's life. Um, I don't think we have this nailed down to the week, but probably into the September time frame. So I hope that you would welcome him as warmly as we can. Pastor Roy, please come up here. Um, he will be on the stage teaching for us for the, the rest of the summer. Uh, so I won't come up and introduce him every week, but I wanted him to not walk up blind. So, uh, Roy, thank you much for being here. We are really honored, and you, uh, the stage is yours. Well, Journey Church, it is good to be with you. I am uh, honored at this, uh, at this assignment that God has given to me and that you have allowed me to have. So thank you so much for, uh, for this, this opportunity. Um, I have a phrase that I want, during this time here, if you would humor me, a phrase that I would like for you to repeat. I'm going to uh, try to remember to have you do this every Sunday. All right, so let's start out with, the, with that phrase. Can we throw it up on the screen? While, while going through life. Short little phrase. While going through life. Now let's put a pause in there. While going through life. Would you say that with me? while going through life. This little phrase that I, is a, a phrase that actually was one of the things that touched my life as a new believer and began me on a path that probably led me to uh, become a pastor. Uh, it comes from the way that we translate two things that, get, that, that God gave us uh, through Jesus when he gave us the great commandment. If you're familiar with the great commandment, when he was asked which of the commandments are the greatest or which one is the greatest, and he told those that were listening, and it's in uh, uh, Matthew and it's in Mark, but he said, uh, love God. This is the, the boiled down version. Love God and love others. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love others as, as well. And so that's the great commandment that he gave to the church. But he also gave us the great commission. And these are the last words that Jesus spoke to his disciples before he ascended into heaven. And he, Jesus said to them, go and make disciples. And he expanded what that meant to all nations, 
which was a pretty big deal for the Jewish followers that he had because their whole system was set up on their own Jewish community. But now he is opening the door for them that they need to go into all the world or to, to all nations, to all peoples, and, and make them disciples. That's what the Great Commission is. So when you look at the word go make, um, it it's the, it's really is therefore go and make disciples. Many people used to translate this and even preach and teach on this as a call to missionaries. So as soon as you saw therefore go and make, you're thinking, I don't want to go to Africa. You know, I don't want to go to one of those places and live in a hut and all that. That's, that's not me. I'm not going to do that. But that's really wasn't what this was about. Jesus was commissioning them to go into the world as they lived every day. And if and sometimes the Greek is really difficult to translate into the English with the same nuances. The Greek words have nuances sometimes that, that we just don't pick up on. And this one, word go, is one of them. And I think the better translation of this, to help us understand at least, is it is saying, therefore, while going. While going where? Well, while going through life. Uh, while going to the grocery store, while going to the gym, while going to school, while going to work, while going wherever you're going, you are living life at that moment. So while you're going through life, what is your assignment? What is your commissioning from Jesus? Make disciples. So this is why I think while going through life is such a good phrase for us to implant in our minds. And as you leave here and as you uh, live out the rest of this week, that you will think about you are on assignment while going through life. And that is to look for those uh, opportunities. But how in the world do we live by such a a powerful uh, verse like this, a, a, a great commissioning from Jesus? How do we live by the great commandment? I mean, most of us, I, I think by our very nature, we want to be loving. We want to love God with all of our heart, and we want to love others. But sometimes, I mean... You know, it's hard to, to love your brother-in-law. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes it's just there are people that it's hard to love them. And yet God says you've got to love them. And sometimes it's hard to love people that think differently than you. You know, it's hard to, uh, to, to think and uh, to love people that don't always look like you. Certainly it's hard to love some people that don't behave like you. And so we, we have this great commandment to follow, and then we got this great commission that our lives are supposed to be unfolding in front of people no matter what we're doing, and that unfolding in such a way that, that they are asking the question, what's different about you, or they're opening the door of opportunity for you maybe to share who you are and, and your faith. And we're saying, man, I don't know if I want to do I don't know if I can do that. And I'm, I'm here to tell, I'm going to take, I'm going to take all the, the pressure off of you, and I'm just going to say to you, you can't do it. Not a one of us can do this on our own human power. And what discourages many people in the church is that's how they're trying to live out the great commandment and the great commissioning is because they're trying to do it with their own human strength, their own human thinking, that, that personality you have, whoever, however you're made up, you're trying to impact the world based on those things. So to follow this commissioning of Jesus, 
There's only one way that you can do that, and that is there has to reside in us a changed heart. A heart changed from the way that we have been conditioned by our culture, our society, maybe by our parents, maybe by our friends. You have to have a changed heart that, that has been conditioned to live a certain way. You have to have a changed heart of how we generally think about things because we don't always think of things in godly ways. At least, sometimes I don't. We have to have a changed heart that doesn't come from the desire just to be a better person. I mean, I'm sure that if I ask for a raised hands, how many of you have said to yourself somewhere along the line, maybe every January 1st, I'm gonna be a better person this year. And I'm gonna be a better this, better, and you're, you're just figuring out, you've got your plan, you got it lined out, and you've got, this is how I'm gonna be a better person. And by the end of the year, or maybe midway, or maybe 37 minutes later, you've already blown it. You know, and you're, you're, how you, be, that desire to become a better person, that is not what you need. You need a changed heart. And a heart change that only comes through a divine intervention of God. That is the only way the heart changes. You can't do it. Uh, you know, I, I couldn't preach a million sermons. You couldn't read uh, a million Bible studies. And it changed your heart without the divine intervention of God. He has to be in your life. You see, and that is what the whole concept, the whole understanding of Christ coming to earth was about. God realized, as we can realize through looking at the history of Israel, that no matter how hard they tried, they couldn't be the kind of godly people that they thought they needed to be. They failed over and over and over. Because on our own, if you don't get anything else out of Old Testament reading, just get this. It is a history of failure of trying to do things through religion, rules, regulations, laws that doesn't work. And so here comes Jesus. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, so that we could change that. So we would have an opportunity to be what God wants us to be. And through that acceptance of what Christ came for, which he came to be the ultimate sacrifice on a cross that would forgive sin, nothing else you can do after that makes any difference as far as the forgiveness of sin. You can't be a better person to get forgiven. You can't do more works to be forgiven. None of that after Christ died on the cross, none of that works. The only thing that works to be forgiven, to get that divine intervention into your life, is for you to have that moment where you say to God, you say to Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God who died on the cross for the forgiveness of all sin. I need mine forgiven. Jesus, forgive me. And become Lord of my life. Lord of my life, the divine intervention that you need. And until your heart is changed by that divine intervention into your life, you are going to struggle to be any kind of a religious person. You weren't called to be religious. You were called to be a Christ follower. Acts 1.8 tells us how we can do it. These are the words of Jesus and 
I mean, he gives us this powerful understanding of how he's going to make it possible that you could be the person that he is calling you to, that the scripture calls you to be. He says this to them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit, notice Holy Spirit capitalized, that means it is God, God the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the third part of the Trinity. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. What a a remarkable thing. God says, you know, once you allow that divine intervention into your life where I will forgive you of your sin, this is what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to give you the power of God. Do you realize as one who has done that, made that step of forgiveness, that you have God's power living in you every day? You have God's power. As amazing as that might seem, if you look at at, at your, your normal view of who God is, the all-powerful, the creator, that means that power is so far and above anything that we can imagine. And yet, God says, I am going to place my power in you. Can we possibly think that if God's power resides in us, his creation, and he gives us an assignment, can we possibly really think, well, I can't do that. Because he says, I'm promising you, if I sign it to you, you can do it. Because I'm going to give you the power to be that kind of person. So today, I I want to address those of you who know that power in your life. You have prayed and received Christ, asking for the forgiveness of sin. You are a Christian. You are a Christ follower, a Christ believer. That part you have done. And you have asked him to be Lord of your life. That is the invitation for the the Holy Spirit to start uh, living within you. I want to address you this morning. Now, maybe you're here and and you've never made any kind of a a commitment to Christ. Maybe you're just checking it out. Well, that's okay. Because this message will, I think, give you some hope as to why you need to do that. And maybe you have made the prayer of forgiveness a part of your life, but have not gone on any further. And, and I know people who have lived that way as one who is forgiven, but not one who has allowed the Lordship of Christ to take control of their, their life. I've known people who have lived in the church 30 years, all their life, believing that they are forgiven of sin, but have no concept of the power of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit living and residing within them. So if you're in one of those two places where you haven't believed yet or, or you're a believer, but, but you just don't know that power yet, I think that this is going to be a message that you're going to say after it's done, you know what, I need to take the next step because I want some of that. This is what I want for my life. We're going to read reading out of the book of Philippians. Philippians, uh, the, the New Testament is a, a many, in many cases a series of letters. Uh, the greatest letter writer in, that we put into the New Testament is the Apostle Paul. And Paul wrote these letters. He went out and he planted churches, he started churches, and then he would move on to the next city or the next place where he would start a new work. But he always had in mind those that, that were, were the churches he started. And one of the churches that he helped to begin was in a place called Philippi, and the, police, and the people there were called the Philippians, and thus the letter was written to the Philippians. You know, it's like 
Daytonian. Dayton's called Daytonians, and I'm not sure what Westchester is called Chesterites. I'm not sure. But, but that's the way this word Philippians comes. So we're going to, in chapter 2, we're going to begin at verse 1. And here's what he said. It's a little long passage, so hang in there with me. If you have gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit, again, capitals S meaning Holy Spirit, if, if being in a community of spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Remember, this is a letter to the church. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside. Help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourselves the way that Christ thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages out of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life then died a selfless, obedient death, and the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far and beyond anyone or anything ever, so that all created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long ago dead and buried, will bow in worship before this Jesus Christ, and call out in praise that he is the master of all to the glorious honor of God the Father. What I am getting at, friends, is that you should simply keep on doing what you have been doing from the beginning. When I was living among you, you lived in responsive obedience. Well, these are some pretty powerful words written in this letter to the church. He is encouraging them. He said, just continue, continue on, continue the great work that, that was started by the Apostle Paul, but which you must go on and doing those works. These works must go on through you, he tells them. This church situation that he is writing to is not unlike yours. The encouragement to you don't have a pastor at the moment, but the encouragement is that you, because the Holy Spirit promises this to you, will have the power. You can continue the work of this church, a church steeped in, in a lot of history and heritage, a church that's done many good and great and wonderful things in the name of Christ. You can continue this 
because God promises you my power is with you and in you. Now, Paul knows in order for them to do that, sacrifice is involved. He knows how enthusiasm in the church can wane when things get, you know, a little tough. He knows how our humanness can show up inappropriately. And this letter serves to remind them, folks, God gets that. He understands all those human qualities that we haven't quite got a, a real good grip on. He understands that. But he promises you, in spite of that, I will be with you. So here's what Paul is pointing out, and that we sometimes need to do this as well. Paul is telling them, surrender special privileges. We all have special privileges, all of us. They may be um, uh, economic advantages that you have that gives you privilege. It may be a social status thing that gives you some special privileges. Maybe um, it is a power position where you work or maybe you're the, in your family, you, you have power positions that give you privileges. Um, and there are many others that give you privileges, but the fact is they're not all wrong. These are not wrong things to have. These privileges aren't wrong. What we need to be cautious of and, and question sometimes is how do we use those privileges? To our advantage or to others' advantage? Paul's asking the question. How are you using these privileges? Paul says it's actually, if you've got one of those privileges and you can't use it right, it's better to give it up. Stop using it if you're using it the wrong way. So the first thing he tells them is this. Get a grip on yourself. In verse 3, he said, don't be selfish. You know, by, by human nature, we're selfish, right? Anybody agree with that? We're all selfish by human nature. Sharon and I raised two sons. And I want to tell you, as infants, they were the most selfish human creation ever made. They did not care if it was the middle of the night when they wanted a diaper change. They didn't care if it was inconvenient to feed them. They didn't care if you were in the middle of the grocery store. If you're trying to get them up in the morning, Brian, and go to church. I mean, it doesn't matter. They want what they want, and they don't care about you. And those little infants will just demand that right now you take care of me. They are so disgustingly selfish. But that's their nature, right? And my wife and I put up with that all the time, you know, and I remember Sharon getting so frustrated sometimes that she would put on those little infants the mother's curse. You know the mother's curse? I hope you have one just exactly like you. Right? Well, when Sharon puts a curse, I guess you better pay attention, right? Because each of my two sons each have seven children. They've had, my one son told me the other day, he said, Dad, we've gone 10 years without somebody being in diapers. 
Ten years of diaper changing. <laughs> oh, we just laugh at them. We are selfish by nature. The second thing Paul says, forget yourself and enjoy it. In other words, stop trying to think of ways to impress others. While going through life, while going through life, don't waste your time trying to impress people. Instead, get a grip on yourself and show the humility it takes to elevate someone else so you can meet their needs. Serve others before yourself is a good way to say that. That others need your service to elevate them from their place of, of discouragement, their place of need, their place of whatever. You, you all are familiar with what happened to us uh, in Dayton. We had 15 tornadoes ripped through our community. It's, it's, if you haven't been up there, uh, pictures do it no justice. Uh, you, you just can't grasp how awful it is for those people in the paths of those tornadoes. But that community up there has gone absolutely crazy with serving. Uh, the week after we went, uh, our church went down and, and uh, to help down there, cut trees up and do whatever, try to clear roadways so people could get in and out of their neighborhoods. And I, I never seen, I've never seen so many bottles of water. They were, ever, stacks of them. They would pull up and just set down cases of water on a street corner and drive away. And anybody that needed water could come by and pick it up. People brought their grills and their hamburgers, and they would fix, you know, meals for the, for the workers or for the people who no longer had electric or whatever. And, just, and it's not stopped. This serving others to lift them up in their moment of need has really been an amazing thing. And I can tell you, if it weren't for the churches and all the volunteers that come out of the churches, that community would be in a lot worse shape. That is serving others above your own needs. People gave up their Saturdays. They gave up trips. They gave up money. They gave up many things so that they could serve those who were desperately in need. So he's telling us, you know, elevate those people. And watch how you cling to your own privileges. Maybe you know the story of Jesus' disciples that as they were walking along one day, uh, they, were, they began discussing uh, who among us is going to be the greatest when, when Jesus establishes this earthly kingdom that they thought was going to happen? Which one of us disciples is going to get elevated to sit at the right hand and to sit at the left hand? Uh, you know, and who's going to get to do that? And they were arguing among themselves why each one of them or some of them were arguing that, that I ought to be chosen. No, I ought to be chosen. And, and they were arguing. And, of course, Jesus hears this argument. And it was just shortly after that that he takes them to this private room where he has with them what would become known as the Last Supper before he is crucified. He is down to the final hours and he has an opportunity to teach them one more time how they are to behave in life as followers of Christ. And you may know this, uh, that uh, our service of communion where we share the bread and, and the juice the, uh, is right out of that teaching that night. But then he goes on to teach another thing. You see, in the community that Jesus lived in, that these men lived in, it was a very normal practice when you went to someone's home. 
You could have bathed right before you left, but by the time you got there in your sandals, your feet were dusty and dirty. And it was the tradition of them to go into the home and a servant would wash their feet before they went on in. Now, I know it sounds weird, right? Uh, that the people would, ooh, touch my feet. But it was a common thing to them. They didn't think anything about the process of doing it. It was just something that you did. It would be as common as you when I, if I came to your house in the winter and I had a coat on, you'd say, let me take your coat, and you went and hung my coat up for me. It was that common. So Jesus, and he's with these guys in the upper room, and for whatever reason, they didn't want, no one volunteered to do the service thing of washing each other's feet. And maybe it was because they had been arguing, and they were thinking among themselves, well, I'm going to be at the right hand, or I'm going to be at the left hand, and there's no way I'm washing feet. I mean, people in my power, my position, my privilege, they don't do those kinds of things. And so nobody ended up doing it. And after the meal was over, Jesus gets up and he goes through that process of washing their feet. Whatever was going on, Jesus just wanted to teach them. Whatever was in their heart, he knew it. And he, he humbled himself to be this example that they would pass on, pass on the opportunity to serve is above the opportunity of position and privilege. The opportunity to impact someone's life with the lesson of love through humility is more important than having a privilege in a social sense. It is through the needs of others that our service will have more impact than the status that we hold. And when we tell people, well, I'm the, you know, I'm the president of so-and-so corporation and I'm a Christian, that will have a lot less impact than finding out the president of a corporation was in your front yard cutting up trees to help you survive a tornado. Third thing, humble serving receives God's greatest rewards. Look at verse 9. Because of that obedience, the obedience of Christ, God lifted him high and honored him. The reality is that achieving earthly power or being elevated in a social status or any of the other earthly achievements that, that, that we can gain, they, those things will not last. Often, they, they're lost before we even die. They're all gone. But certainly beyond this world, they will mean nothing. Even if you keep those things right up to the moment you breathe your last, beyond this world, those, those privileges, that, that status, they will mean nothing. Our obedience to following Jesus' example, that's what has the great reward. Even on earth, there are great blessings that we see as we do help people. You get that blessing on earth, but those blessings you get on earth will not compare to the heavenly reward that is beyond our comprehension, but it's promised to us as followers of Christ. I had a neighbor in Centerville where I live. I had a neighbor. Uh, it was not unusual for police cars to be at their home every weekend because he was um, a severe alcoholic and he would get 
he would drink so much that he would get sometimes in a rage, and I think he, the ambulance sometimes was, uh, the lifeguard was sometimes for his daughter, his grown daughter, or his wife, because he had done something. I think sometimes it was for him, because he passed out or whatever, and they couldn't wake him. But whatever it was, it wasn't unusual. We were in a neighborhood. We were used to seeing that. Now, his family knew who we were as, as, uh, as pastors, uh, and we had made some opportunities to reach into their lives, but he was um, just very shut off to anything, even having a neighborhood relationship. Didn't want anything to do with anybody. Well, one day the life squad came, and I saw them take him out on a stretcher. So I went over and asked his daughter, I said, hey, she was getting ready to get in the car, and I said, hey, what, what's going on? And she said, well, the life squad said he's had a total liver failure, and they don't think that he's going to live. And they're taking him, of course, to the hospital. And I said, okay. I said, listen, do you think it would be all right if I went to the hospital and prayed with him? And she said, well, I think it would be fine. Okay. I said, I'll let them get him in a room or whatever, and then I'll be over in a little while. So a little later in the day, I went over, and um, he was alert. He was awake. And, you know, it's one of those moments, you know, it's hard to understand how to sometimes approach people, but I knew what we had was, was fleeting moments of life left. And I just went in and I said, hey, you know uh, that this isn't looking good for you. They're saying with a liver failure, you've only got hours to live. You, are you, do you understand that? And he said, yes. Now, I saw over on a shelf that his daughter had brought in um, the statue of the Virgin Mary. So I knew that somewhere in his background, there was some kind of growing up in faith or teaching or whatever. So I asked him this question. I said, listen, you, you believe in heaven? He said, yes. I, I, I said, do you know for a fact you're going there? No, not really. And I said, I can give you a way that you can know for 100% surety that if you die today, eternity will be yours. Would you like me to show you how that works? He said, absolutely. So I prayed with him. I prayed with him to receive Christ and to ask for that forgiveness of sin. And, and I explained to him that it doesn't matter the past because he knew I knew a lot of the past. It doesn't matter how bad the past is. Jesus' death on the cross was for all sins that everyone has ever done, is doing, or will do. And he prayed and he received Christ. Three hours later, he was gone. It was a hard thing. But you know, the obedience to go, and even though it was a hard thing to approach someone and say, hey, you're dying. I just needed to do that. And the reward for me that moment was to know that he didn't die separated from God. There is reward for what we do in obedience. Sometimes it's earthly. Sometimes it's going to be eternal. But God promises there's always a reward for our faithfulness. Let's go back to the scripture in chapter 12, or uh, verse 12 in chapter 2. What I am getting at, friends, 
is that you should simply keep on doing what you've done from the beginning. When I was living among you, you lived in responsive obedience. Now that I am separated from you, keep it up. Better yet, redouble your efforts. Be energetic in your life of salvation, reverent and sensitive before God. That energy is God's energy and energy deep within you. God himself willing and working at what will give him the most pleasure. Do everything readily and cheerfully. No bickering, no second guessing allowed. Go out into the world while going, while going through life. Go out in the world uncorrupted, a breath of fresh air in a squalid and polluted society. Provide people with a glimpse of good living, of the living God. Carry the light-giving message into the night. Anytime that you study the Word, hear a sermon, go through a Bible study or whatever, there's always this for you to do. The next step. What will be the next step I take now that I know this, now that God has spoken to me, now that my heart's been moved? What is my next step? And you've heard me talk about the way of salvation. If you don't know the Lord, your next step is to get in line with that, is to find the forgiveness of Christ. Maybe you've done that, but you really have never experienced the, the Holy Spirit working and giving you power and moving in your life and calling you um, to do things. When I was, um, when I was in, um, in that process of deciding what to do with my life, and this call on my life to be a pastor, I didn't want to do it. I, I, I absolutely did not want to do it because I had this fabulous, well-paying job. And in fact, I had moved, I was in the post office, I had moved up to this position that is what I dreamed of. I'd only had it for about a year and a half. And this calling on my life, my wife and I had talked about it like a gazillion times. And finally she said to me, I don't want to talk about this anymore because you're, you're not deciding anything and this is driving me nuts. So until you decide you're going to do something, no more. No more talk. <laughs> so she was kind of ticked. She was convinced that this is what I should do. Me, growing up in the environment I grew up in, dad taught me, you're the man of the house. You take care of your family. It's up to you. You don't give up jobs and have no money. And so, I didn't, and I didn't, and I didn't. And finally, my pastor walked me through a process and helped me to go over to Anderson and talk to them, and they immediately, this is in January, and they immediately said, we'll see you in September if you want to start seminary. And I was like stunned. I was like, what? This is happening too fast. And they said, no, you, you, you can come. Well, there's no way I could do this part-time. They didn't have a part-time program. They didn't have an online program. So it was either quit my job and go to seminary or not go. And my wife and I got in the car, and we were driving that long drive from Anderson back to, back to Dayton. And the Holy Spirit did something in my life that I can only tell you is amazing. I cannot describe to you how vehemently opposed I was to becoming a pastor because of my fear. Scared to death of doing this. And suddenly, 
the Holy Spirit moved in my life and that fear was evaporated. It was gone. And I realized that as I'm driving along, I just realized, you know, I'm like excited to go now. and, and, And I turned to Sharon and I said, Sharon, God just removed the fear of doing this out of my life. I'm ready to make the decision. That is the Holy Spirit moving in a life when you are sensitive to him moving. If you don't know that sensitivity, your next step is to go deeper with God, to turn your life over to that lordship. That's your next step. And finally, if you are one who knows that empowering of the Holy Spirit, your next step is to live it out. Live it out maybe better than you've ever lived it out before. Live it out in this church because you are the church here. Regardless if you've got a leader or not, you are the ones that will take the church forward. And God's promised you, I'm going to be with you. I started this work. I'm going to give you what it takes to move it forward if you will allow me to work within you. And he's going to work within you. It's not going to be as burdensome as you think. It's not going to be as, as heartbreaking as you think. It's going to be a good thing. And he will show you that eventually. But God wants you to be on board with him as he makes his move and makes his move through yes. So your next step, just surrender and say, God, how can you use me in the positive way that your word talks about in Philippians? You have in your pews this card. It's the connect card. And, um, you know, I want you to take that. And there's places on there that you can fill it out. And you can put down on there what your next step is. You can put down on I want to I see somebody about praying to receive the, the forgiveness of Christ. I want to see somebody about uh, surrendering my life to that uh, Holy Spirit, that Lordship of Jesus. Or maybe you can put on there, God has been speaking to me and, and I'm going to volunteer to do this. Whatever it is, don't leave here without taking the next step. And as you go out today, let's say our phrase. While going, right, while going through life. Let us pray. Father, speak into our hearts as we all, including me, uh, maybe need to take the next step. And you are encouraging us to do that. Help us to know what that is. Help us to move forward in uh, great strength without fear. And we ask that in Christ's name. Amen.